Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is my tag team partner, the Macho Mandrew, Macho Mandrew, Macho Mandrew. Andrew Lano. And much like that triple name, we are saying Beetlejuice a whole lot today because, well, we watched Beetlejuice, a film that... I think we've done the best ever at this. This movie's actual 30th anniversary is this Friday the 30th. Oh, very cool. Yeah, which is kind of cool. It's actually a Friday because presumably that's when this was released. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, kind of a neat little thing to be tying into there. We watched Beetlejuice, so you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your bioexorcist. Something's gotta be done about your bioexorcist. When the mega powers explode... I'm talking about the 80s. Oh, yeah. Great Scott. Cream of the crop. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Mega power, yeah! When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. And I'd just like to say right off the bat here, oh, this boy. is a month... This <laughs> is a month of... Of well, one clearly a month of Winona Ryder, and uh, also the uh, gentleman who plays Otho, whose name I forgot. Glenn Write down. Thank you. Um, but this is also our hyper realities month. I think this is a lot of like dreamy dream sequence, weird stuff. It's, you know, I a different camp than of, Heather's, but yeah, I can I can see yeah. that. Yeah, uh, one one half of this podcast would definitively say a better camp, like a much much better, more enjoyable camp, a much much better camp. I enjoy them both for very different reasons. Like this month has been very refreshing because it's two good, like for me at least, two good movies or like well-crafted <laughs> movies. And it's like, oh, it's it's a d- very different conversation. And so I think it's a different level of camp for this movie. Like it's, I don't know. I like them very much for very different reasons. I, I mean, obviously I'm not going to rehash all my Heather's thoughts, but this, I, I will say I liked this movie so much more this time than I thought that I did. Like, When's I, the last time you yeah, watched this, it? It's been a while because I generally don't care for Tim Burton, but I think that's mostly because late-stage Tim Burton is that's the ticket. trash. And, and yeah. honestly, as someone who now like watches movies with a different eye than I did in like middle school and high school, it's a very different view of Tim Burton for me. Like, It's very clear to me that there's a golden age of Tim Burton, and that is 1985 to 1992. Yeah, I would where, say that's hundred percent correct. Where he did Pee Wee, Beetlejuice, Batman, um, Edward Scissorhands, and Batman Returns, and to me those are like five of the best movies he's directed. And then in the mid late nineties, he did you know Mars Attacks, which I enjoy for its camp, and he did Sleepy Hollow, which again I enjoy for the camp. But really, like his later stuff, I it's just it's a lot of I don't know it's it's. It seems lazy. Yeah, it, it's definitely I've whatever people expect this, so I'm just gonna do this. Yeah, and I don't like. I understand as you get older, you take less risks in your life, and that happens for creative people too. That I mean, that's not just you know the actual actions you take, but you take less risks creatively, and you you don't have as you have more to lose, right? Like he has an established career, and if people don't take what he want that you don't take the right thing from the stuff he creates that could really damage his career. So I understand why you do that. And I also think that a lot of people are going to be like flabbergasted that we didn't mention Ed Wood, which I've seen in his, is, is, I mean, perfectly entertaining movie, but it's been on my list for a while. That and big fish are two of his movies that like everyone says I need to watch. Cause big fish is supposed to be like his most across the board. Anyone, everyone I know likes that movie. I Big Fish for a long time I would I would had said is the only Tim Burton movie I like and I now think that I would say I, I also like Beetlejuice uh, quite a bit. Uh, Big Fish is sort of that weird fairy tale like kind of thing. No, you know I do like Pee Wee's Big Adventure quite a lot too. That's 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 true. I should say that. Um, but I I really dislike his whole Johnny Depp era and I just that I have no time for that. And I also uh, you used to watch Nightmare, Nightmare Before Christmas, which technically wasn't on- directed by him. I understand that. I, I totally, that's a good trivia question. He did not direct Nightmare for Christmas. I actually, once at a bar trivia contest, 
there was a question about that and someone put down Nightmare Before Christmas and he was he counted it and I was like Tim Burton didn't direct that movie and the guy was like yeah he did and I was like no he definitely Henry did not Selleck direct that movie. directed that one <laughs> and Check we like we got into it <laughs> we got into it and I finally was like I'm just gonna Google it and show you that you're wrong like that, no that the people that, that he did not direct this movie um, but I don't I, get it I don't think don't argue with the two of us about bar trivia. Because we only <laughs> go to bat when we 100% know we're right. Like I only go to bat to like the, the person in charge. I have definitely thought I knew a thing and then I was wrong. That has happened to me before in like a on the team argument for sure. Mm-hmm. But like we're only going to step up to the plate and be like, no, 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 no. This is like when we definitely know the answer. Right. In our weird encyclopedic knowledge of random things that no one cares about. <laughs> Who could possibly care? Well, I do, because I have nothing better to do. But obviously he didn't direct Nightmare, but I think everyone who has seen Nightmare knows that Tim Burton's influence is all over that movie. Yeah, And I think I think a lot of the reason that I had said for a long time how much I dislike Tim Burton is because you used to watch Nightmare on Elm Street on... Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, that was a good flub. <laughs> Uh, on just a straight loop and mom and dad always come after me they're like oh you watched little mermaid and it's not that i like denied having done this as a child it's just that when you were obsessed with nightmare before christmas i was like i don't know 10 and i was just like oh my god i just don't want to see it anymore I they're, just, no, they're I telling just... you what do you think we had to deal with yeah no i get it i get it i totally get that i just i like so you watch that movie so much that when I hear any like any Danny Elfman score, it starts to make my skin and crackle a little bit. I generally enjoy a Danny Elfman score because it's it it always fits with what I'm watching. It makes sense for that world, and I'm I'm fine with that. Like he's not one of those composers where I'm like, why don't they do more work? Because I feel like the work he does, he like he does the perfect amount of work that fits the what he's scoring, and that's that's the line for me. Yeah, and I, I actually my first note. We should start talking about the movie a little bit here. So the the musical opening to this movie with the the credits going by and they're sort of like flying over the town is so perfect for this movie. It matches the tone of what's to come. It's like a little zany. So well, yes, it's it's a it's a little bit. It unsettles you a little bit. It kind of sucks you in because you're curious about like what's coming next. Everything about this opening sequence is at I just think it's perfect it's it's so the music and the way you're like kind of flying over the town is so wonderful for this movie and as i was watching it, i was like man am i gonna really like this because i i remember my second note was trip hates danny elfman so i'm glad that (laughs) i can cross that one out cue up the scratching out sound effect (laughs) i actually said i really generally don't like danny elfman but i love this theme is my actual note here. it's a really good theme it is. It is. And it's perfect for this movie. Like you were saying before that he really sets it up in such a way that you get the perfect fit for, for Beetlejuice. Um, but I also think it's crazy that you love a movie so much that opens with a giant spider crawling over a house. It's because I know it's coming. And so, like, there's plenty of time. Like, when I know, when I, I know that when I see the house, it's time to look down and do something else for a couple minutes. Count to ten. Yeah, because it's not like a pop-up scare or a jump scare. It's like, to me, that's also a really cool moment, is you don't see the transition from real town to model town. Because the camera... I, I mean, I, I noticed it, but I yeah, I mean, it's hidden really well. It's less noticeable than the birdcage one, if you've never noticed that one. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I'm a big, giant movie nerd, so I like enjoyed seeing a model, and I thought that was really cool. I also think it's a really clever idea to incorporate the model into the movie so that you get like double use out of it. Cause clearly they used it for these flyovers and then it was like, Oh, just stick it in the movie. Mm-hmm. So they, the, the plot here is Baldwin and Gina Davis are Dream, baby uh, dreamboat, Alec Baldwin and America's sweetheart, Gina Davis. <laughs> he really, now uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say this now Uh-oh. just in case it comes up. I, I just, this is just a hunch, right? Well, not a hunch. He's done some pretty crappy things. Alec Baldwin is probably a trash person. Like he's probably going to at some point or another get get some sort of get Gibson some sort of something. Get some of what? Get Gibson. Gibson. Mel Gibson. No, I mean, like, like we have a weird. 
general societal thing where we just forgive anything. I guess Gibson is a good example there too. But Alec Baldwin like called his ex called his daughter and was screaming about his ex-wife and saying all sorts of horrible shit to this young woman and about his ex-wife and like I mean marriages fall apart and people hate each other and that's like not that uncommon but he was pretty shitty about that and so I just the guy who does that might also be just a trash person so I'm just uh, we're gonna say a bunch of nice things about Alec Baldwin on this episode it's not like Jeffrey Jones where like we we have it's like oh we know it's a garbage monster yes yes so I just I just want to put out there like we're both going to say nice things about Alec Baldwin because he's very good in this movie. But I just don't want a situation where like two years from now or a year from now it comes out that Alec Baldwin is a garbage person and we were like, oh my god, he's so good. And people are like, wow, you really regret that, huh? So I'm just going to put a disclaimer here, yeah, like asterisk. Fair. Alec Baldwin might be a trash person, but I think he's good in this movie. He's going to come he, so hard. He's, he's going to come after us so hard. <laughs> It's all right. I'll, I'll 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 take it. I'll take it. Uh, also, his Trump his Trump impression is not that entertaining. I'm sorry. It's not that entertaining. I'm sorry. I'm sick of it. It's, I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. I, I just I want them to. What I oh okay. We're gonna, it's real quick tangent. What I wanted to happen when Trump was very upset with Alec Baldwin playing him on SNL was I wanted SNL to like come out and be like, we're sorry, Alec Baldwin will never play you again in a sketch. Here's Kate McKinnon as Donald J. Trump. And then yeah. that would be her gig. Because, like, she can do anything except be yes, her best I, friend I, yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so enough about that. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I gotta get, we gotta get back on tangent to track here. It's, he actually like doesn't like this minutes. movie. What's that? He doesn't like this movie. He thinks it's his. That doesn't surprise me because he doesn't get to play his normal Alec Baldwin in it. And that's what makes this so good. He's more Rick moranis Yes, and every Alec Baldwin role is like a big tough guy, finance dude, you know, macho bullshit nonsense. And Jack so seeing Donaghy. him play this, yeah, Jack Donaghy, exactly. I mean, I'll be straight up here. Jack Donaghy is his Trump impression with just like a little voice twist. Like when you go back and watch mm-hmm. those episodes, he is definitely playing Trump. Actually, I'm surprised that I wonder because I have a bunch of facts later of like original or alternate casting choices they had. But this is a Geffen film, and Geffen made Little Shop a year or two before this. I'm surprised Rick Moranis wasn't, like, in line to play uh, Adam in Beetlejuice. I don't think he's handsome enough. Because I think part of what really makes the ghost couple work is that they're very attractive. That's true. This is, like, prime so 80s Gina Davis. Yeah, exactly. And, and prime young Baldwin, too. So you're, like, rooting for them, and you're kind of really upset when they die early in the movie, even though you really have no reason to be. I think them mm-hmm. being attractive is a real boon to that. That's fair. They're taking, like, the first ever staycation, and they decide to go to the store. But to a after... lame degree. It's not like we're going to stay home and enjoy ourselves. It's we're going to go. we're going to stay home and spruce up the kitchen with contact paper and work on my tiny model of the tiny town we live in. Yeah, okay. Does they is there ever any explanation for why he has a tiny model of the town? Is he an architect? No, he works at he owns the um hardware store slash hobby store in town. Like that's their store I they see. own. So yeah. I imagine it's just like it was a hobby he turned into a job in the town. That makes sense. Okay. So uh their sister-in-law, I guess. Somebody's sister. It's never is quite. A, Jane. It's their. It's their real estate agent slash some relative of some kind. Yeah. So she comes in and she's this like great over-the-top kook who's like, "Oh my god, somebody wants to buy the house. You should sell it to them." Blah blah blah. And she's like popping up in windows and like you know crawling out from under cabinets and stuff. She's full she's on really like delightful. This house should be with with someone who has a family. It's too big for you guys. Like that is not your decision to make, Jane. <laughs> also, Alec Baldwin needs a whole attic for his tiny town model, so <laughs> clearly they need some space available. So they're going to town to pick up some supplies. Alec Baldwin needs some things for the model that he's working on. And we inexplicably have this shot of this old man muttering to himself. And he is it. just so – it's such a uh, John Watersy thing to me. It feels yeah. very much – I was going to say the John Waters movie. early Johnny early, – early Johnny Depp early tim burton has a john watersy flair to it absolutely they definitely he definitely is influenced by john waters stuff i I would i think there's no question about that but they crash their car they there's a dog in the road and gene davis swerves to avoid it and then they go through the side of this covered bridge and they fall into the water below and even as a kid 
I thought that that this shouldn't kill them. I always thought it was more that they drown, like they they didn't the crash didn't kill them. They drowned. I know, but like they they're two adults who are able bodied. The crash didn't like could, knock them unconscious. They it could have. Well, I need to see that then. That's fair. So the original script for this movie, which I've read at least what the internet has called, it could have been fabricated, but the original script for this movie was much darker. Like it wasn't a light heart. It wasn't like waka waka honk honk. And so in the original, like you saw the crash happening, vivid detail, and like Barbara's arm got ripped off. It's really twisted. Yeah, I don't need. I don't. I don't want that. That would be a weird tonal fit for the movie. I just need them to i need them to be in an accident that makes me think like oh they're dead versus this where i'm like wouldn't they have just waited like gotten out of the car when i've hit the water i mean <laughs> like like i know not everybody has survival techniques in their back pocket but it's like wait till the car fills with water open the door and swim free it seems like a very possible thing to do here this was a pre worst case scenario survival handbook era no, I know. I, it just seems like the car like lazily falls eight feet into the water, and then the, we smash cut to they're dead, and they've been dead for a while. And I just don't quite get that. But that's 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 not really that important. It's just a nitpick with the movie that just show me them like hitting a thing and getting knocked out, and then drowning is all I need. That's fair. It's definitely one of the few points in the movie that I'm like, we could use like a a little put a little wrench in here and tighten this part up. Yeah. Uh, but this is the start of the good weird of this movie. There's so it many little touches. no time getting you there. No. It's five minutes but in and boom. Yeah. But weirdly, for a movie called Beetlejuice, he doesn't really show up in the movie until 45 minutes into this hour and a half. By the way, kudos, Tim, on a nice tight 90. It's a real kudos. good 90. It's a, it's a perfectly paced movie. We're in and out quickly. And I, I like... I've said a lot of times, there's almost never a situation where a good movie ends at 90 minutes and you're like, oh man, like 25 more minutes would have made that so much better. But there's always a bad movie where like, oh my God, 25 minutes out of that would have saved my life. So 90 minutes is just a nice sweet spot. I personally wouldn't have minded a like 10 minute stinger after the credits of like, this is how they all live together now. Because that dynamic seems fun to me. Like I want to know what that's going to look like. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I'm i with you. I Don't get me wrong. I I think that another 10 or 20 minutes of these characters would have been fine. It's a fun movie and it's really enjoyable, but I kind of like that it, we're in and out and we don't, it doesn't overstay its welcome, which is nice. I'd rather you leave too early than too late is I guess what I'm trying to yes. say in a lot of words. But it's very much like Sleeping Beauty, how Sleeping Beauty says almost nothing in the movie that she's the title character in. And yeah, yeah, he... he he really, but it like in forty five minutes, he is three quarters, maybe even a little bit more than that of the things you remember about this movie. I feel like Beetlejuice could have very easily turned into Jack Sparrow, like later movies Jack Sparrow, where you're just like, oh Absolutely. my god, I get it. You're what's his face from the from? What, hang on, is he who's he? Richard. Keith, Keith Richards, Richards from the Rolling Stones. Like, we get it. You're a weird drunk. Keith Richards is a pirate. We get it. But he doesn't. He's like in this movie enough. I I wish he was five to ten more minutes in this movie for of his character. But he's in there just enough. That you're like, oh, like you own this role. You have all the swagger in the world, and you're really memorable. I would put this Michael Keaton performance up against nearly any movie performance in history as far as actor or actress having more fun than anybody else and you can tell and in the best way it's like, like it's infectiously fun i won't like i was gonna say it's like margot robbie in suicide squad she's the she's in her own friggin movie yeah yeah but the difference is like that's a i haven't seen it but in that it's case terrible. you'd be talking about like a great performance in a crap movie but it's weird to get that kind of oh my god he is just like everything that comes his way is a home run and the rest of the movie is good. Like that is so That's hard true. for everyone else to, to raise their level to like from directing, from, from writing to for performances. He's so good in this movie that the rest of the movie should feel like crap in comparison. And it doesn't. And that's like a minor miracle as far as movie making. Goes. I agree. I didn't think about that, but that's so true. Uh, but anyway, I was talking about like little touches that I love so much. Um, 
there's a scene where Gina Davis is a, as as the Dietz family moves in. Gina Davis is is sleeping next to <laughs> next to the bed under the covers, and when he rolls over and pulls the covers off her, she has this like wily coyote moment where she hangs there for a second, and then when she wakes up, she hits the floor, and it's really like just a perfect little touch for establishing the rules of the movie and the universe that it lives in. I really yeah, that's what I love about this movie. Very clearly establishes rules and follows them. Something I really enjoy about this movie is that it does veer into the, like, silly territory and, like, self-referential stuff. Yes. And, like, tip your toe in the water, feel it out kind of way. So when they get to their home and they they see the handbook for the recently deceased is on the table, Alec Baldwin picks it up and goes, the handbook for the recently diseased. And there's this big dramatic swell in music. And Gina Davis, like, corrects him and goes, deceased. And as, after she says deceased, there's the same exact dramatic music swell. And it's yeah, just this perfect, silly little moment. Yeah. And it would it, it would feel stupid in any movie except this one, which is kind of the genius, madcap genius of, of all of this. Yeah. Um, so they come home and they realize they're dead. And then the Dietz family starts moving in. And we'll talk about him a little bit later. But as we've said before, when we did a movie that had Jeffrey Jones, he's, he's gross. Duck. Yeah, oh, that's right. It was out of the duck. He's gross. He's going to come up occasionally on the show. Garbage monster. Yeah, so we'll always just say that, like, obviously his crimes are really disgusting and heinous, and and that's that. We'll We're talking about on. his character and yeah, the commitment exactly. in the world. We're not talking about him because yeah, exactly. I, he's awful. He, uh, he was, you know, a completely different situation than the current sexual crimes that are being called out, rightfully so, in public. Where it's like a character actor who was in a bunch of movies that we loved as kids. It's not like, oh, I can never watch that the same way again. And that's that's the situation that he is in. He's a gross guy. Um, but he plays off Catherine O'Hara really well. And Catherine I O'Hara, I, 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 this is a she's a perfect example of what I was talking about before, where everybody steps up their game. She's I've not ever seen a Catherine O'Hara performance where I thought she was not just like carrying her weight and then some she's awesome in home alone. She's awesome in all the Christopher guest movies, but this I think is my absolute favorite role of hers because it's so insane. And yet you never, you never feel like, Oh my God. All right. It's too much. Like too many, too many weird. It's this very over the top kind of caricature of a New York artist. And you never feel like, ugh, I get it. Oh, my God. And that's really hard to do. It's so hard to do this type of, like, obscene caricature performance and not feel grating. It, yeah, it's – she's – oh, God, I love her in this movie so much. Um, and it's one of the rare instances in movies where I don't understand why this couple is together, and that's completely okay with me. Because typically I'm like, I don't get why this couple is in love. But for for some reason with these two, I'm like, I, they're like, I get it. They're like New Yorker a-holes who don't really like each other. Yeah. And I think they make perfect sense as a step, like second wife situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like she's young. She's probably trendy at these parties. He's not attractive, but he had a lot of money clearly. And so that makes him more attractive to a certain type of person. They fit together really well, even though they don't like each other. And it's, it's exactly what you said. Like that sort of stereotype New York a-hole. It plays really well. But there's a great bit here with, with her where she's walking through the house with uh, Otho, Glenn, Glenn Shaddix. Shaddix? I'm not sure how you say it. but uh, Let me check. Two seconds. That's all right. I'm just going to say Otho, so it'll be fine. Otho. Um, Otho. Uh, they're spray painting the walls, and she writes mauve on the one, and he's like, ugh, you get me. More than any other client I have, you get me. And they start discussing these very bizarre colors they want for the rooms. And one of the great gags in the movie is they open the closet, and Gina Davis has hung herself in there to, to kind of scare them. And they're like, and she rips her aghast. face off. <laughs> yes, and then they're aghast, and it turns out what they're aghast at is the fact that the closet is too small. It's it's the perfect blend of it's very it's it it's very Mel Brooksy in that it's yes. a heightened silly situation with very specific rules that are followed. And I know you don't agree with me, and I, I like I, said, I promise I'm not going to rehash for the whole time. But that sort of tone there is what I would want more out of a Heathersy thing. That's that's this is the tone that I was kind of hoping for when you're going to deal with such a dark subject matter and so this is a good example of if 
I'm assuming most of you have seen this movie. This is a good example of what I was talking about and struggling to illustrate in our last episode. That like they're aghast because you, and you're like, oh yeah, they're seeing a dead body. And it's like, no, no, no. It's because the closet's too small. It's just like, Mwah. see, and for me, I think it's because the setup of each world is different. Like this movie deals with ghosts and like the afterlife. So like to me, like the the that kind of stuff wouldn't make like I don't see the transition to Heather's. But again, I clearly. As you heard last time, I had yeah. so much more like depth into Heather's, and you were like, "Oh, that's a valid point that I would have realized if I yeah, enjoyed this yeah, movie." Yeah, 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 yeah. I just this is just a good illustrative example of what I was trying to say in a lot of words last episode, so I, I thought it was worth pointing out there. Uh, but this sets off a run of really great fake deaths with Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, and we're like, she's holding his severed head. I love and then it he's so like, much. <laughs> My favorite, what I think probably my favorite physical gag in the movie is where they realize they're going up to the attic, and Alec Baldwin, whose head has been severed, jumps up and runs up the stairs to fix the problem <laughs> with no head. And he, like the the way that they film it and the body sort of teetering has this real nice Three Stoogesy slapsticky quality to it. And so they, this is where they establish that they can't leave the house. Like they physically, right. this is the second time they're trying to leave, and they end up in a sandy desert with a giant worm thing that we later find it's called a sandworm. Very creative name there, by the way. Yeah. It's like a little dolphin in and out of the sand. And then they go back to their house and we learn that like time plays differently out there. So we're like, we're starting to piece together the world of this afterlife. Cause I think afterlives are a really interesting thing that movies tackle. And if you tackle it in a clever new way, I'm very happy because I feel like we've seen a lot of afterlives. We have, and I will say, I, I know this might be a spicy take, but this might be the worst movie Afterlife. You mean, like, the worst one to end up in? Yes. Mm. So, all the people who commit suicide are doomed to a life of bureaucracy. Admin assistance. They're, yes, uh, which is heinous, right? But even the people, like, these two, who died not of their own volition and seemed to be pretty good people, are stuck in the same place forever, I think it's only, I think it said 129 years. All right. That's not forever. <laughs> There's like, well, that's, if they that's said like 2000 years, that's forever. Half. Yeah, I guess. But 129 years of not being able to leave the house seems like a really grim fate. 125 years. That's what it is. Sorry. Um, right. But that's a 125 year prison sentence. I don't know. You're, you're still a ghost. They don't even get yard time. Um, I don't know. I feel, hang on. Give me a second to. Because I, I feel like there's I've definitely seen movies with worse. I don't know. Ghostbusters feels kind of grim. If the Ghostbusters decide to bust you, you end up in purgatory forever. Well, so do you in this movie. But, like, this is the house you grew up in. So if they, it was like, oh, you have to spend 125 years in the house you grew up in and are most comfortable in. Or get in this dark box that we don't know what's in there. I'm going to pick the, the difference house. To me, though, the difference to me, though, is the Ghostbusters bust bad ghosts so to me that feels like bad people whereas well in this movie you see that there are people who you know get different fates when they die right like the gina davis and alec baldwin seem to be good people and this is their afterlife yeah so what is what is the like if if we can extrapolate based on seeing what suicide happens to suicide uh, victims and the good people who die. What is hell like in this universe? Because if the good, the good, the good people, they have a 125 year prison sentence before they're allowed to leave. Hell must be like actually getting put through a chipper shredder repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Although, hang, spoiler. I, I'm gonna never mind. Something that you and I have talked about a lot recently. I would say that is a worse afterlife. The good, what, what afterlife? Good place. Oh, we could you could talk. We could just say the good oh, place. I was. I didn't want to spoil anything. Well, I just say, okay. Uh, you know what? But like you, the afterlife, the afterlife depicted on the good place. Yes, the afterlife depicted on the good place. I would say is a worse afterlife. I think it's a reasonable. It's a reasonable suggestion. I'm still sticking by Beetlejuice because I, I the suicide thing really sticks in my craw. Yeah, well, that, that is that's a, a lot of that major is, religions, that is, though. I know, but that is too strong of a punishment for people who don't deserve it. I agree. I agree that that's suicide all is a harsh punishment for suicide. Anyway, the Dietzes start remodeling the house, and there's a crane lifting one of Catherine O'Hara's sculptures, and it ends up falling and trapping her 
And a lovely bit of foreshadowing. And the real estate agent shows up and angsty Lydia is out. I love how angsty she is. It's it's like what everyone jokes about Hot Topic kids being is Lydia. Yes. yes. Um, she's got the like wispy bangs glued to her forehead and perfect spikes and big hats with veils and a vintage camera. It's uh, it's it's perfect. Um, so she hands Lydia the skeleton key and Lydia's like, oh, I can go upstairs. Perfect. Cause she sees the, the Maitlands up there, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. And she's like, yeah. oh, that's, I guess those are ghosts. I'm going to expect the addict. And the real estate agent like leaves by saying, oh, by the way, tell your father that I hand decorated the entire house. If he wants any help. And you're like, of As course you did. they're just trashing this woman's out. Like, they're, they're, like, spray painting it, throwing stuff out a window. It's very good. Shredding wallpaper. So she goes up to the attic, and she kind of sees what's going on up there. And then, or she tries to get into the attic, rather. Mm-hmm. And as she's trying to get in up there, the TV crackles on, and there's an ad for Beetlejuice where he's basically like, hey, I can solve all your problems. You should let me do this. da 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 uh, in a very good over-the-top version of a local ad, like Crazy Larry's TV Emporium. We got TVs and TVs and TVs. So he's doing that kind of shtick, and it just passing the savings like, on I, to you. Yes, exactly. You know, we've we've done other Michael Keaton movies on the show. We did Mr. Mom. We did Batman. And I I generally like Michael Keaton as as an actor, but this is so good, and it's so good that. I kind of don't mind that there's chatter every other year about doing another Beetlejuice movie. Cause if he is half as good as the, at this, the second time around, it's still going to be a watchable movie. I would love to watch him do this because I, I don't think this role would have worked with anybody else. Like this role is no. Michael Keaton and there's very few performances that I feel that way about. I would even go so far as to say that I would like to read the script for the Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian idea that I would. was floated for a I long would also. time. I don't know if it ever got written and was more than just a title, but Kevin Smith talked about it uh, in one Beetlejuice of his... was supposed to win a surfing contest through magic. Yeah, I mean, I just <laughs> it's just so good. Uh, Shout out to Kevin Smith, by the way. Hope he's, he's still doing well in his recovery. Can't believe he had a massive heart attack at 47. Oh, That's God. Crazy. Yeah. He's doing all right. Seems to be. A big fan on this side of the show, so I enjoy keep, him. Keep on keeping on. Yeah, his I, daughter's I, I, name is Harley Quinn. How can I not? Yeah, yeah. And he did the Clerks cartoon, which had Alec Baldwin, so it's relevant to the podcast. Yes. Um. So, real quick, I'll throw in a couple other. Uh, so, the role of Lydia. Some of the other people who were like up for the role were uh, Alyssa Milano and Heather Langenkamp from Nightmare on Elm Street. She probably could have pulled off I could something have pretty good. I could have definitely seen Heather Langenkamp for this. Yeah, it's hard. This is one of those things that people do a lot where you get a sort of – and iconic might be strong of a word to use with the characters in this movie, other than Beetlejuice maybe. But it's hard to like see an incredibly good performance and then think about somebody else doing it. Like You always hear the ones like, oh, Tom Selleck was going to be Indiana Jones, and you're like, oh, that's terrible. And it's like, Tom Selleck probably would have been fine, mm-hmm. but it would not have become like an all-time classic character is all the, you know. So it's tough to, to when you've seen somebody do a great job like Winona Ryder does in this movie to be like, oh, yeah, somebody else probably could have done this too. But I, I think Langenkamp probably could have pulled that off. Here's the real kick in the teeth. Guess who was supposed to play Catherine O'Hara's role? No idea. Angelica Houston. Oh. Would have been great in that. Yeah, no, I bet she would have been great. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. But again, like, Catherine O'Hara is, like, my favorite part of the movie. Well, second favorite part of the movie after Michael Keaton. So it's like, no, don't take that away from me. Mm-hmm. And last one. Some of the people who were up for, for the role of Barbara, Gina Davis's role, the first was Kirstie Alley, but Cheers wouldn't let her go. So the other four people they considered, like, it blows my mind. Sigourney Weaver, Goldie Hawn, Laura Dern, and Linda Hamilton. Wow, that's like a murderous 80s row, royalty. Ladies. Like, yeah, that is a murder. Any row. one of them, I would have loved. I, I'm sorry, Gina Davis, you're great in this movie, but any one of them, I would have loved to see in this movie. Linda Hamilton, probably the worst of that bunch. Yes, but all of them very good. Yeah, I don't get you know the Linda Hamilton to she's, me reads she's badass. She's a little too tough. She's, yeah, she's got that yeah. Chloe Grace Moritz thing where I'm like, you're always yeah. tough and you're always yeah. going to beat me up. Yeah. So Baldwin 
decides they need to go get some help. He's been reading the handbook for the recently deceased, and it says draw a door. So he gets some chalk and he draws on the bricks, and he and then he realizes he forgot the knob, so he puts the knob on, and then he knocks, and they go through. And it's just like a really cool imagery. All of this stuff is the best version of Tim Burton to me, where it's like imaginative and weird, but in a good way that kind of makes you a little unsettled and on edge. It's darkly vibrant. It doesn't feel darkly vibrant is a great term for it. That's what his, like to me, his peak movies are darkly vibrant. Like every scissor hands has that like pastel goth feel to it. It's, I don't know. Like that to me is like peak Burton. Yeah. So we go to the waiting room and this is a scene that everybody in Beetlejuice knows, but Everybody loves shrunken head guy, and everybody loves woman cut in half. But shark guy, shark leg, shark on the leg guy is absolutely love the it. best of this bunch. And nobody talks about shark on the leg guy. That is the king of this room, and he only gets shown for like a 10, 15 seconds. But his shark is like clamped down around his thigh, and this person is just like sitting there with a dead shark on his leg. It's fantastic. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, this waiting room scene is like I w- I could watch this in like slow mo and just take in all of the amazing designs um and then miss argentina is the uh receptionist and she slit her wrists and she i don't know to me like she's such a queen she's all the the blue green tinge she's still wearing her miss argentina gown and sash and she's just like look i'm over this because i've been here for a thousand years just get on with it See, that's the part that I find so deeply screwed up is they're in the same outfit they died in for eternity and they're bureaucrats. Yeah, I don't, to me, the death, like the afterlife as a, as a, a dry b- bureaucracy is hilarious to me. Like, I like no, that absolutely. idea of an afterlife. Well, I don't want to live no, in no, it. No, 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 I don't <laughs> want to end up there. But if I'm going to watch something or read something about death, oh, yeah. that's the afterlife I want to read about. The like, yeah, no, look, I'm you get you. four help vouchers in your afterlife. Are you sure you want to use one now? Click, clack, click, clack, click, clack, click, clack. I'm sorry. We need, like, I want the, like, bank teller in the 80s to be at the window. Right, right. And the, then they go actually get called in to the to the main, like, office bullpen area. And there's a, a man who's been flattened by a big truck of some kind on like a slider and he just slides one way and back and never t- can't turn around so he yeah. only sees and, one side of the office and th- there's a bunch of great details too here there's some secretaries who are just skeletons that are typing away and then further back there's another guy that's hanging and it's just a dude who hung himself so he's like slowly spinning in a spiral as he swings around his noose is on like a track that takes him around the office sort of like uh a laundromat not a laundromat a dry cleaner how they have the thing for the clothes it's just him on a track slowly moving around dropping memos on people's desks (laughs) yeah Uh, so they end up going down the hallway trying to get to meet their counselor juno and they accidentally find the lost souls room and then they get this like creepy janitor who's explains to them what's going on and i thought this guy like I obviously knew he didn't come back because I've seen this movie ten times. But based on this scene, you would think this guy would be kind of integral. But it's just like, no, he's just a or the Lost Souls guy. room would be integral. Yes, yeah, no, like absolutely. That's where they were going to send Beetlejuice. Well, isn't that what you're supposed to think is happening to Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin during the wedding scene? I don't think so. Oh, because that's what I always interpreted that as. If they didn't show you in their wedding clothes so soon, because they instantly go to their wedding clothes, it's not like but a then they, weird but, cover. But moment. I'm saying. No, 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 I'm saying after they go in the wedding clothes and she starts slowly desiccating. Oh, you're right. I've always in, I've always interpreted that as they're going to the Lost Souls room and you're supposed to be like, oh, shit, that's like the worst that's thing what you they could look, have. Right, no. That's 100% what the Lost Souls looked like. I never thought about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I assumed. That's what I assumed that was supposed to connect. Hmm, that You're probably right. Um, so, that, so they meet Juno and she's this. When I die, like, I want to be Juno. <laughs> She's like a dead Edna mode, and I'm so yes, here for it. She is. She's smoking a Virginia Slim with like a huge ash on the end of it, and she has just like no time or patience for these people who haven't done their homework, and she's just over them. And the and she does the the one important plot thing she does is teach us as an audience like, hey, Beetlejuice is bad news. You don't want to mess with them. But she is this like 
just absolutely delightful woman chain smoking the cigarette and just like she, uh, her guys, throat so is stupid. slit and so every time she takes a puff the smoke comes out of the slit in her neck and it's just yes. such a great moment of detail it is very beautiful it's very good they, uh, i wish we got to hang out with her more frankly. i do she's too like, she's such a good part of this movie and it's funny that's like the fourth time we've mentioned that about some minor character but that just says how good this movie is this is like she was like nominated said, I, for a saturn award for that role it doesn't surprise me. She's awesome. Um, but like I said before, I, I kind of like in my head, I was like, yeah, I like Beetlejuice. But I, I, after having rewatched it, I have a really strong appreciation and like for this movie There's a that lot I did not on. know that I had. Yeah, it's a very good movie. Two of my favorite things with Juno is they, after uh, Adam and Barbara go down the hallway and go into the room, they realize that they're in their house and it's been completely de- decorated like late 80s, early 90s garbage style. And Juno says something behind them and they turn around and all of a sudden a bright like overhead spot picks her up. And it's this love stupid moment of like, what? Why is there light? Why is there good lighting? And so she takes them upstairs and there's a little goof. I just noticed for the first time where they're going up the stairs, you can see a spike mark of tape on the stairs. Oh, cool. Um, she goes upstairs and she's like, I shouldn't tell you. Spike mark is where uh, uh, somebody would be standing later for blocking. Yeah, it's basically saying, like, you're, go to this point and then stop. She's, she says, you know, oh, I shouldn't tell you this, but I'd rather you not pick on not, not call him to solve your problems. And she starts to tell them about Beetlejuice and the lighting completely turns orange and a shadow goes over her like she's telling a spooky story. And then they cut- like a flashlight under her chin. Yeah, and then they cut to Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, and they both look very confused that the lighting just changed. Yes, <laughs> this great moment of breaking the fourth wall perfectly. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, so she explains the whole Beetlejuice thing and how he's like a rogue agent, and once you get him, you can't get rid of him. But it's interesting. I, I, as I was, you know, watching the movie and and talking, you don't get to hang out with Beetlejuice for quite some time. So I was thinking about this stuff. Beetlejuice is the bad guy in this movie, but he's really more like chaotic neutral than than like true evil. Like he's crazy, but mostly he's just like trying to get himself out of the situation that he's in. It's not like he enjoys the murder and he enjoys. I mean, like, it feels like he enjoys it. It feels a little personal. Yeah, I just it seems like he's doing the things he needs to do to get what he wants versus like, oh, I'm going to ruin the world. <laughs> so it's interesting for a movie villain to be not as over the top that's, to me. That's interesting. I never thought about it that way. In the like, you should read the original script sometime because it's an interesting read and it's sort of an interesting take on this universe because originally he was like a straight up m- murdering rapist. Yeah, and that would be awful. That would that would not fit with this movie at all. So he's more like a not with this movie. Job. I would. Yeah. it's funny. It's one of the rare instances where I hear about the original script being so different, and I read it, and I'm like, oh, I feel like I would enjoy that movie in a different way for different reasons, just as much as I enjoyed the movie I got. Because typically yeah, I hear probably right. Typically I hear that, and I was like, oh, here's the stupid things they were gonna do, like the giant mechanical spider fight or whatever. And then yeah, I, and then it's like, oh no, like that's just a different kind of movie that's equally valid. I'll buy that. So they're trying to scare the Dietzes out of the house and they do a classic ghost where there's like a sheet over top of them. They're like, but I also noticed for the first time that the sounds they make really sound like Pac-Man noises. Oh, you're right. (laughs) Like they're when when Pac-Man dies, their ghost moans sound like Pac-Man's death sounds. (laughs) It's fu- it's funny because it's it's almost to what I refer to as drugstore Halloween decoration ghost. Oh, it's not almost. No, because to me that's a little higher. That's higher pitched and more wavy. This is more sustained. Like drugstore, you know, headphone use R.I.P. headphone users is more. I'm sorry. I thought you meant their costumes. You were oh no, correct with the sound. Their costumes are 100 percent that, but their sounds. Are different. You didn't know I was gonna bust that out. Bust out that impression. No, I knew. It. I I realized. I realized that you were just teeing yourself up to do a spooky sound effect noise that you like to do. So I just let you have it. But I. I no, I, I think not it's not gonna stop you. I think it's similar. No, it is. I just. I I heard you make that noise for the first time like a month ago, and I laughed at it, and I was like, certainly this will be on the <laughs> podcast in the next six months, and so it just happened quicker than I expected. Is all. Yeah. 
Uh, so they enlist. Lydia catches them, and she takes a bunch of Polaroids, and she realizes she can't see their feet. So she's like, oh, you're ghosts. So they're like, okay, look, here's the deal. We're trying to get your parents out of here. This is our house. We want it back. You know, you guys are too weird for us to coexist with. And so Lydia, being the, like, goth teenager, is like, yeah, sure, I'll hang out and help out some ghosts, which in a different movie would be an interesting kind of creepy thing. But here is just, like, a fun, she's so buddy cop. <laughs> she's like, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll see. I want to hang out with some ghosts. And so in the next scene, and that's where we get what, what to me is one of the iconic lines of the movie of uh, Lydia says, uh, the handbook says, the living typically ignore the strange and unusual. I myself am strange and unusual. And I'm yeah, like, oh my God, good. it's so high school. It hurts. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um, but in the next scene... I'm not weird. I'm gifted. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, in the next scene, <laughs> Delia is wearing Charles' sweater that he was wearing earlier as pants with suspenders. <laughs> I miss that. It's one of the things that I, like, BuzzFeed posted about once, and I was like, wait a minute, what? There, it was like the craziest things Catherine O'Hara wears in Beetlejuice and what you haven't noticed about them. And it was like she wears a glove as a headband. And they're like, she's literally wearing her husband's sweater as pants with suspenders. Yeah. So Baldwin and Gian Davis are like, all right, we we need to get let's let's talk to this Beetlejuice guy. So they say Beetlejuice three times and they get they have to dig his dig him up out of his grave. And it's really great set work where they're digging through the model. So it's like cardboard and foam insulation and all this crap that they're digging through with shovels, like green, bumpy stuff for grass. Yeah, yeah. So he pops out and gives his whole like spiel like I'm this, you know, he kind of explains who he is and and you know, gives you a quick rundown on who Beetlejuice is. But since all of you out there have probably seen Beetlejuice, we're not going to like waste your time explaining who Beetlejuice is to you. But uh, he goes, you know, tries to pitch them like, look, I can solve your problem. And eventually Gina Davis, who's the smartest character in this movie, by the way, yeah, is like home, home, home. And they get transported back out of the Beetlejuice territory, which is like so awesome that this character thought of that because I definitely would not have thought of yeah, that. Yeah, I would have <laughs> taken so much longer. It's, this is also an interesting thing is that they say that calling his name three times summons him. But when they called his name three times, they were just transported into the model. Right. And then later Lydia says his name three times and he comes out of the model. Right. So I, and, but then they have to say it three times to put him back. It's confu- That's one of the confusing things of like, what exactly does calling his name do? Right. Because it also doesn't seem like it's as easy to put him away as just saying his name three times. But when they do that, it does put him away. Yeah. Uh, So we get the most famous scene in the movie. Iconic. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Catherine O'Hara and uh, the whole gang are having dinner and they're like talking about ghosts and how they don't believe in them and blah, 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 blah. And then suddenly she starts singing Deo and then the whole the whole table's doing Deo and they're dancing. The Beetlejuice song as most people know it now. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but the best part of this whole scene is when they get slammed back into their seats and their shrimp cocktail becomes like this weird sea monster arm and grabs their faces <laughs> and so shoves good. them backwards. I love it. Yeah, it's it's so, like it's you expected the shrimp cocktail to attack based on the scene, but the fact that it turned into like a fish monster arm is so out of nowhere and delicious. <laughs> uh, it's per- ah, good pun. Yeah, thank you. I was, I was pretty proud of that. Um, fun fact, uh, the one of the shrimp hand props is in Disney's Hollywood Studios in the Planet Hollywood store. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Along with the almanac from Back to the Future. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and So instantly, these people are like, oh, we got to make some money on this. And so they're like scheming about how to turn it into like a ghost theme park instantaneously. Instantly, all I could think was, I was like, I feel like I'm Ian Malcolm. I'm like, you get lightning in a bottle and boom, you want to sell it. You want to sell it. <laughs> you slap it on a lunchbox. <laughs> um, and so they go upstairs to try and find the, the ghosts and Otho steals the handbook for the recently deceased, which is like very clearly shown like, ooh, spooky, bad thing. Yeah. And when they start to when they go downstairs, Beetlejuice attacks them as a snake. But he wasn't summoned in the first place here is another. Yeah, I wonder. So this is my understanding theory. Yeah, that they did summon him when they did the triple Beetlejuice. He just brought them to him instead of going to them. Yes, because then as he's a snake, 
she does Beetlejuice three times again and sends him back to the the model. Mm-hmm. And then later Lydia pulls him out with a triple Beetlejuice, and then the fourth Beetle triple Beetlejuice he goes back permanently. Well, so no, I think oh, no, that's... it would have if he wasn't eaten by a sandworm. Yes, that's true. Yes. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. That, okay, true. I, so I think that's what it is. But you're right; it's not. It does need a little bit of uh, rule clarification there on, on for a how movie that has pretty good works. rules. I just this is a gray area. Yeah, and it's funny because we constantly harp on like. Give me some rules and then stick to them. Give me some rules and then stick to them. And then we're literally discussing a movie that doesn't do that, but the movie is so good and charming that it doesn't matter, which is like... Because it sticks to every other rule it establishes. Right, right, right. But I think there's also leeway of like, if your movie is good enough, you don't have to be that solid with your rules, just pretty solid. Yeah, exactly. Um, So they go to yell at Beetlejuice in the model, and he gets distracted by like a naked girl dancing house. Um, A brothel. The oh, brothel, yeah. Um, I, it speaks. It read more like a strip club. It, it does, but then uh, uh, Juno literally says, "It was my idea to distract him with a brothel." Like, like a minute later. Oh, the whorehouse was yeah. my idea. That's what. Yep. They get. Yeah, yeah. It instantly pulled to Juno's office, where it's. Oh, I love her so much. She's surrounded by an entire football team, essentially. Yeah, I half mean, a football team. I mean, it's like 10 people, maybe, but yes. How many guys make up a football team? Like 50. But the ones who, like, are actually playing the game. 11 on the field at a time. Okay. Yeah. Um, And they, like, don't get that they're dead yet, so they keep calling her coach, and she's just so pissed off at them. (laughs) I also love the idea that they're, like, so bound to authority that this little old lady is like the only authority figure in the room. It's like, well, this is our coach now. And I'm just imagining like the scenario where she's like smoking a cigarette in the sideline. And calling <laughs> oh my God. I would, she's got a little headset around her neck. X-wing cross 22 X-wing cross 22. Oh, I would, I would love that. Um, this is where like you, Juno, you look at Juno and you almost expect her to sound like she's an Italian grandma from South Philly. Yes. But she doesn't, so... But, you like, you, the visual is that. And this is where we get something that I think is a really cool aspect of the movie. It was really effective in theaters, based on what it's supposed to be, but it's supposed to look like there is a... But there are a bunch of, un, like, dead people sitting in a movie theater watching you watch the movie. Oh. Yeah, when they're in her office and the camera is looking directly at the, the Maitlands, behind them is a big window with movie theater seating and people eating like dead people eating popcorn as though they're watching the movie from the other side. Interesting. I didn't put that together. That is really cool. It's really cool. So Lydia is writing a suicide note and trying her best. Yeah. So simultaneously she's writing a suicide note and Juno is coaching Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. And, uh, she kind of coaches them into being like, all right, let me see your scare faces. And they do this like stretch, you know, mess with their heads and stuff. This is the part I think. Yeah. And pretty scary for a kid where Gina Davis's mouth is open and the tongue is there with the eyeballs on top of it. Yeah. So while that's happening, Lydia is trying to summon Beetlejuice and he can't obviously say his own name it's like for a rules Stilskin purposes. Situation. Exactly. So he shows her a beetle and she gets to beetle like instantaneously. And then for juice, he conjures a, a carton of Minute Maid and a glass and it's pouring orange juice into the glass. It takes her so long to get to juice. She goes through like every possible word before it's like, no, it's juice. Why wouldn't you say our orange juice would be the first thing you say here? It's like beetle orange, beetle breakfast, carton, glass, beetle glass. It's like, no, dum dum. Clearly it's juice. We had to build tension. I it just it was the frustrating kind of tension to me. I was like, just say juice already. Um, so they stop her before she can say Beetlejuice three times and free him. But they're they look like horrifying monsters. So she freaks out for yeah. a second before they like put their faces back. Well, the best part is Gina Davis instantly puts her face back because of course she is because she's the dom- the smartest person in this character. Uh, but Alec Baldwin like can't undo it He's quite like, yet. Trying to smush his face from his like beak, <laughs> yeah, his beak back into He's, a like, face. Poking at it, yeah. And then even when he gets it mostly back together, he still has a really big nose that he has to like poop and push back in. There's also a great moment where he like looks at, still looks like a monster. Looks at Gina Davis and does the shrug hands up like I'm trying. 
Yeah, it's not my fault. I've been working so hard on this. Uh, So we find out that this plan to make money on this is going ahead. And Jeffrey Jones is basically like, oh, we're going to we're going to turn this into an amusement park and we'll do this here and this there. And his business partner is not really interested in this. J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, he totally is J. Jonah Jameson. One of the things he says, uh, he's like, oh, we're bringing on this guy to help, you know, engineer the park. He's the genius behind the talking Marcel Marceau statue. It'll yeah. be a hit. And it's like, oh, this is def- this is clearly Tim Burton being like, stupid executives don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's also like the film nerdiest film nerd joke. Like, the only reason I know who Marcel Marceau is is because I have heard people make jokes regarding actually Kevin Smith again, that silent Bob is the Marcel Marceau part. Like that is a very in the weeds film nerd joke. That is for a small, that's the kind of joke we make on this podcast. Yeah. We're like, Oh, this is for six people, but this is in a do what? $25 million major uh, uh, you know, comedy. Million. Okay. But like, you know, that's, that's a really obscure joke for a title like this. I, I, I love that it's in there. So they decide, okay, the ghosts won't come out because they're like, no, F that. We're not your dancing monkeys. Uh, Otho is like, all right, well, I'll do a summoning ritual. I just need something of theirs. So they grab their wedding clothes and they start doing this ritual. And then Gina Davis gets, like, sucked into her wedding dress. It's a really cool effect of them. It is. This whole sequence is awesome. The gown gown and the suit fill up with, like, people but no head, uh, hands and feet. And like floats into the air, and then the feet and the head grow out, and it's really cool. It looks so cool. And Gina Davis shows up first, and so she starts to deteriorate, and her like skin starts drying out, and she becomes brittle, and the makeup is amazing. The- Won an Academy Award. Yeah, and totally deserved. I will say, teeny tiny, teeny tiny quibble. The continuity is off. Like she gets yeah. both of them get really bad, and then kind of come back, and it's not really explained why, but minor minor quibble it's awesome makeup and the effect is very cool mm-hmm. and i like that it also kind of looks like the corpse bride which it does, uh, look, it does look like that you're right yeah there's a, the, the corpse bride bride owes a little bit to this gina davis makeup for sure uh, but i like that juno says to them in the office like you idiots let uh, uh humans get a hold of the handbook terrible things will happen if you don't get it back they didn't get it back and then terrible things happened yeah, yeah, it's a perfectly set up uh, set up and paid off thing. So Lydia sees this happening to them, and obviously she's become attached to these two, so she's trying to save them. So she goes to Beetlejuice and is like, hey, help. And he's like, only if you marry me. So she says yes, and she does the triple Beetlejuice. Uh, and we get a really great gag where he kills, well, presumably kills anyway. We don't see the aftermath. It's more slapsticky. Yeah. But the the boss guy and his wife are suddenly on, like, a test your strength thing from a carnival, and he just, like, turns his arms into mallets and launches them into space, basically. It's so good. And you get a, a, a tiny sneak peek of Jack Skellington. Oh, yeah, you do. He does have a little bit of that look. Yeah, no, at the very top oh. of his carousel is Jack's head. Oh. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought you were talking about the, the Beetlejuice makeup there. Oh, all right. No, yeah, when he, he uh, like, rises up through the model they yeah, set up the living room and yeah. his hat head is a current is like a carousel and the very point of the carousel is jack skellington's head oh i, I must i missed that i'll have to be next time uh otho tries to run away and beetlejuice's punishment for him is to snap his fingers and put him in a blue leisure suit which is really delightful so for that good. character <laughs> so it's time to get married and this last part of the movie does happen very very quickly this last 10 minutes is this like bang, this bang, is bang. the part that i'm like you could have stretched out like a couple minutes here and not made it feel yeah. it feels a little rushed like yeah, a little I, I, bit I, I agree but so he he summons a weird uh dutch angle to do the marriage uh fireplace yeah. yeah yes and then a guy walks through it to do the ceremony uh he he traps the deetses with sculptures so they're the witnesses to the wedding and then gina davis and alec baldwin are trying to like stop this and so alec baldwin's like beetlejuice and he makes his jaw fall off and then gina davis hits her mouth zaps him into the the thing to get away from him and so gina davis is like cracks her knuckles you know you know cracks her neck and is like beetlejuice and he zippers her mouth so she unzips it and says it one more time and he does Something uh, my friends know of me a, a little like dinosaur scree sound when she says Beetlejuice for the first time, and then he throws a he like throws a big metal plate over her mouth and sends her off to the sandworm universe. 
so Alec Baldwin has been transported to the model and he like jumps in this little model truck and is trying to cause a distraction. So he's like racing across the floor as they're doing the marriage ceremony. And I also really like, there's some great stuff with Beetlejuice here where Michael Keaton is not just like, he is, he's clearly conflicted, which is odd because the character, they're like, uh, you know, the, the priest like character says something and he like ducks aside and he has this little like one-on-one with himself. It's like, I always said, I'll do this once and only once. And yeah, no, I need to do this. I need to do this. And he like steps back in. He's like, no, we're good. Let's do this. And it's just a weird, it's like such an odd thing, but it's great. For me, I've always sort of felt like Beetlejuice is a performer. Like he, he knows there's an audience and he's playing to the audience. So for me, that was always what I felt about those scenes about that moment was like, yeah, he's like playing to us. Like, Hey guys, I know it's like build some tension, make it kind of funny. Snappy, snappy, snappy. Yeah. Yeah. He's almost like a Disney villain. Like he's yes, like the yeah, amount of like, so. char- like charisma and charm and swagger is very Disney. And I like that. Yeah. I would, I would agree with that. So Baldwin rams into his foot with the truck and his like foot catches on fire a little bit enough to cause like a minor distraction. And you're like, Oh, how's this going to be solved? And it's solved by Gina Davis riding a fucking sandworm <laughs> through the roof with no it's explanation. Like, boss. <laughs> it's like somehow she went from being afraid of this thing and like a little bit like, Oh no, it's going to eat me to like taming tw- it. 20 seconds later, it is crashing through the roof. She's Although, riding it in a wedding say, dress. Yes. But I will say, remember, the time in the sand area is, like, so much longer than on the real world. So even though she was only gone for, like, a minute, it's, like, three months in the in her time. No, so maybe she, that, like, that's flipped. No, because when Alec Baldwin goes out he's, there. He's in she, the sand world for, like, a minute, and he was gone two hours. Oh, So okay. Earth time is longer than oh, sand time. Oh, okay, okay. So okay. she was there for half a second. Okay, because I was going to say, like, maybe that explains it. No, you're it's right. It's even I more know. badass. She was there for 0.02 seconds <laughs> and was like, you, just... saddle up. <laughs> Let's do this. Um, I would have liked so... an explanation to how that happened. Yeah, no, it is kind of insane, but in a good insane. Like, this movie is the best kind of insane to me. It really is. Um, so we smash cut to Lydia leaving school and finally brush her damn home. hair. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't have the death bangs anymore. And Alec Baldwin is like still working on this model. He's really, he's really a lot like the guy with the Molly Monahan bike in the yes. One Magic Christmas. Although, if you had only, if you had 125 years in a house you couldn't leave, and you had a built-in hobby, that hobby would be like yeah, no. your respite. Yeah, it does seem like a good thing. Um, so they've basically like adopted her, and they're like asking her how her grades went, but and like what she got on the test. To live there too, it's a very we- like. I wanted a second of explanation of why they were allowed to convert the house back to the wallpaper, like farmhouse for men in black. Right. Yeah. There, there, there needed to be a little bit of like split ski between the two styles and, and, and the, the ghosts and the, the, the Dietzes because for the beginning of this scene, you're like, Oh, what happened to her parents? Are they just gone? But they're like weirdly shuffled off into the basement. Yeah, they're they're just like they're not allowed in the main level of a house. It's very bizarre. Yeah, because she's like, "Hey, I got an A on my test. Can we do the thing?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't know." And Gina Davis is like, "Do it." And so they do jump in the line, and she's like floating in the air. Another scene that everybody knows from this movie. But it's weird that like Jeff Jeffrey Jones is in the basement reading a different. Uh, he's in his office, so I think that's upstairs. Okay. But he's reading a new publication by the person who wrote the handbook for the deceased, and he's like, Living "Oh, with someone must have gotten an A on their test." Yeah, it's a it's a, a really cute dynamic that they set up, and I was like, "I want a little more time with this dynamic." Yeah, I agree with that, and that's the movie. She dances, and and uh, we cut to Beetlejuice in the waiting room, and he steals somebody's number, and the guy turns him into a shrunken head, and that's that's the end of our show. Yeah, such a good movie. It really, it really is. I like I said, I hadn't watched this in a long time, and I knew that I liked it, but I think I really like it. I don't yeah. know if I love it, but I really like this movie. It's really good. Uh, this is a this is an enthusiastic recommend from from both of us. It sounds like yes. Frankly, this movie is almost too good for our show. I know it's definitely one of those moments. <laughs> Luckily, there was a lot to talk about, but that can be the challenge with stuff that we both like. Of like, isn't this great? And that's kind of what it is. But 
Uh, yeah, no, this is wonderful. It's incredible performances all the way around. It's a great score by a guy whose music I don't like and great directing from a guy who's directing I generally don't like. I can't say enough nice things about this movie. But now that I've explained the golden age of Tim Burton, those are the movies you enjoy. Like, Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I, I do like Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and we've that'll probably be an episode somewhere down the line. Some sort of Pee-wee something will be an episode down the line, I'm sure. Um, and happy 30th birthday to this great movie. Yeah. You know, that's uh, really, really cool. Now that Winona's back with Stranger Things, I feel like the Beetlejuice 2 can't be too, too far away. Yeah, no, I think it's... You know what else would be really interesting? What if we got a strange, uh, Beetlejuice reference on Stranger Things eventually? I would not be mentally prepared to handle that. <laughs> well, season one was 83, season two was 84. I still didn't finish and they said season five- two. Season two is eighty four, so eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven. It's going to be too early. I think they've they said they planned five years, so it ends in eighty seven, oh. eighty three, forty five. That's a bummer because the Beetlejuice thing would have been a really cute. Even if it was just a poster in the background, it would have been really cute. Mm-hmm. Or like it's just on in the background, a scene, in like on a TV. They'd have to be at the movies. Yeah, it wouldn't be oh, on it TV. Wouldn't be on but tape they yet. Could, it wouldn't yeah. be on tape yet. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. Uh, this is a wonderful, great movie that you should go see. It's it's its 30th birthday, so it is entirely worth celebrating. Yeah, I agree. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. Uh, sorry again about the sort of weird tone of the previous episode. We hope that uh, you were able to enjoy it, even though it was a, a little bit of us at odds with one another. Doesn't uh, happen often. If you No, very, very rare. Uh, if you'd like more of the show, you can find us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash dissecting the 80s. Uh, it's slightly different on Twitter. It's dissect the 80s. We would love to hear from you. You could send us an email at dissecting the 80s at gmail.com or give us a call at 856-D-I-S-S-E-C-T. Uh, and most, most importantly, do us one favor. In celebration of Beetlejuice... So it's his 30th birthday. Why don't you review our show on iTunes? You click on over, you write a review, and uh, we read them on the air. Yeah, they're giving us a gift for Beetlejuice's birthday. I was, yes, I was like, is where is the tie-in? You're the tie-in real hard. Is, the, the tie-in is we deserve a gift for, for Beetlejuice's birthday. Uh, it really helps the show when you do that. And more importantly, it really helps the show when you tell your friends about it. So if you like us... Tell two friends, this is the pyramid scheme of podcasting. Um, We really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in advance for doing those things. It would really help us out. We will be back for the newest theme month on this show. Andrew programs the show in the month of April. Uh, A-P-T-S-I-T-M-O-A. And secretly I programmed the month of March too. You, you did. Well, yeah, you kind of did. Um, but uh, we will be back on April 9th with Overboard. Thank you for listening. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until April 9th. Don't you forget about me. Dissecting the 80s is a Chum Some of This production. <laughs> <laughs>